Hi, thanks for listening. In 20 seconds or less, I wanted to ask if you would consider supporting the show with a one-time donation of $1 to $3. The funds go to subscription fees, equipment upkeep, and a general sense of well-being. Links in the show notes. And again, thanks for listening. Okay, on with the show. Chapter 7 Beverly saw the dead coming, but her attention was not on them. She stared in disbelief and for a moment dared to hope that her husband had somehow made it out of the tunnel and now raced to save them. Her hopes were dashed anew as she watched a lone figure jump from the vehicle and pull cable from a winch mounted on the front. He wrapped the cable around a tall boulder set in the field between her and the advancing pack. She stood transfixed by the scene before her as the jeep raced away in reverse. The cable snaked around the dead, then lashed them to the spire. She pulled Tommy closer to her as she watched the jeep buck and tear at the ground, fighting against the tension in the cable. She felt the bile in her throat as she saw the dead fall, their gore staining the grass and soil with a reddish-black spew. The jeep stopped and a man got out. He did not signal to them or seem to see them at all. She was about to cry out to him when she saw him pull a pistol from inside the jeep and screw on what looked like a silencer. The cry caught in her throat and she panicked. Looking to her left, along the ledge of the cliff, Beverly saw a line of trees running back up towards the road. She grabbed her son's hand and ran towards them. Jacob knew he did not have much time. He knew he should retrieve his cable and get away from there as fast as he could. This group of runners was part of the larger horde that was bursting from the tunnel by the hundreds a few short miles from where he now stood. He also knew because these were part of the horde he tracked, he could not leave until he was sure. He pulled the Mark I from his jeep and screwed on the suppressor, then looked around. The severed lay on the ground before him. Looking into the distance ahead of him, his mind reeled. There was no woman, no child. A cold sweat broke out on his forehead. He scanned the field to the horizon, left and right. Turning quickly, he looked back the way he had come. Nothing. Had he imagined it? Of more concern to him than his tenuous hold on reality was the fact that he had acted. Thinking he saw a woman and child being pursued by the advance of a massive horde, he had reacted and sought to lend aid. If there was no woman and child, then he just foolishly ran out into the path of the dead the dead. Jacob snapped his head around, and as if for the first time, noticed the severed remains of the horde's early arrivals. Leaving the door open, he went to the spire. He studied the ground and the remains of the dead. Though cut to pieces, they still moved. 
As Jacob came upon them, their top halves clawed and pulled along the ground with their arms. Within moments, they had spread out over the terrain, like baby spiders slowly fleeing from their egg sac. They struggled to get to him. They reached out for him in an effort to latch on, to hold, and to eat. Jacob stepped carefully, looking into each wasted face. The woman and her child that he thought he saw were not among them, giving his mind further confirmation that his grasp on the reel was slipping. His pistol hung by his side as he moved from face to face. He was about to give up hope of striking a name from his ledgers when he came upon the last of the dead. In appearance it seemed to be small, diminished in size all the more by the loss of half its body. Jacob stooped down and stared into the vacant milky eyes and slack jaw of Charlie Wagner. Age ten. Redhead. Freckles. Charlie had lived with his mother and three sisters in a run-down trailer park on the edge of town. The park's inhabitants were all down-and-outers who worked what jobs they could to pay their way through their meager existence. Patty Wagner worked at the truck stop on the night shift. She smoked, drank, and slept her way through the other hours of the day, leaving little Charlie and his sisters to fend for themselves. His sisters were old enough to behave and stay out of trouble. Charlie wasn't. Largely unsupervised, Charlie was known as the hellion of the trailer park. It was not that he damaged property or stole from his neighbors, but with nothing better to do, he would insert himself uninvited into their affairs. It became a game of sorts for the other residents. Whenever they would leave or come home to their trailers, Charlie would always seem to be around. If he saw you, he talked to you, and getting out of any conversation became a gargantuan and unenviable chore. Still, the Denzians of the trailer park knew his situation, and didn't always try as hard as they could to avoid the boy. Spare candy and food seemed to find their way to him, as well as the occasional bag of old clothes, cleaned and washed, and just his size. When there was nobody to harangue at the trailer park, Charlie would pedal his bike into town and make his rounds. As Jacob stared into the darkened and misshapen face of the child, he remembered how folks would tell him that something should be done about the boy's situation. Jacob had taken to checking on him from time to time. They had gotten to know each other, a little, and he imagined the two were becoming friends of sorts. Help me, Sheriff Miller. The plea that Jacob knew had not been uttered, a plea he knew he had to answer, pierced his heart. He stood and, with eyes blurry from unasked-for tears, raised a gun. He fired twice and Charlie Wagner was released. Jacob returned to his vehicle and secured the cable back onto the winch. Before getting in, he grabbed his census ledger from the passenger seat and opened it to W. He found the name he was looking for and drew a line through it. Jacob turned back onto the road and sat facing west. He looked into his rear-view mirror and knew they were coming. He cut his eyes forward and looked down the stretch of road. Would he have time to get back to his vantage point and set up for another shot before the horde arrived? He had almost convinced himself that he would, 
when a new sound rose above the throaty idol of the jeep. He looked back in his rearview mirror and saw them coming like a slow-moving tsunami. Time had run out. He hit the gas and the jeep took off, disappearing around a bend in the road. His disappointment at not being able to survey the entire horde in their passing was tempered by his liberation of Charlie Wagner. The horde would keep moving, and so would he. There would be other days, other shots. Maybe tomorrow, Betsy, he said to himself as he raced down the road. As he entered a straightaway that cut through the rocky hills and tall pines, he felt like someone punched him hard in the stomach. Springing from the tree line on his left was the woman and the child. Their path through the trees made inaccessible by the stony terrain on either side of the road. They cut across his path and ran down the right-hand side of the highway. Jacob watched them as he drew closer. At fifty miles per hour, he locked eyes with the woman for a brief second as he passed. He thought she looked terrified, desperate, but not weak. He turned his head and looked back at them even as they fell behind him. The woman jumped when she saw him, and her mouth opened in a scream that was lost on the wind. Looking forward, Jacob watched her turn and drag the boy back down the road, back towards the oncoming dead. He slowed the jeep, finally coming to a stop. Jacob closed his eyes and took deep breaths. Real or not real? He opened his eyes and spun the wheel, racing back the way he had come. As he came upon the woman and child, he could see her look back. This time her scream faintly reached his ears as she tried to outrun his advance and make it back to the tree line. Jacob turned in front of them in the road and brought the jeep to a screeching halt. He pulled his pistol and pointed it at them. The woman and her child, both gasping for air, were clearly spent. The three of them eyed each other nervously, engaged in a standoff in the middle of the road. Please help us, the woman said. Jacob blinked and cut his eyes between her and the child. He did not lower his gun or his gaze. He watched their stare break from his, a low moaning sound coming to them on the breeze. Jacob saw the woman plead with her eyes, and he withdrew his pistol. If you're real, get in. Hurry, he said. Jacob saw confusion cross the woman's face, but it was not enough to stop her. She ran to the jeep and flung the door open. Shoving her child in first, she climbed in after him. Beverly closed the door just as Jacob peeled away, heading west down the highway in a cloud of smoke. Chapter 8 In the back seat, Beverly sat holding Tommy close to her. She split her gaze between the rugged terrain outside her window and the stranger behind the wheel. Metal bars separated the front seat from the back, and there were no handles on the doors. The only people that usually rode in the back of police cars were prisoners, but Beverly tried not to think of their situation in those terms. Their rescuer had not spoken or acknowledged them in any way since telling them to get in, which struck her as strange. She replayed the event in her mind, his words echoing in her head and not adding to her comfort level. If you are real, get in. Hurry. If you're real? What kind of a person says a thing like that? 
A crazy psycho who has lost all touch with reality out in the Deadlands. That's who, her mind told her. She pushed those thoughts aside. If she was going to be locked in the back of a vehicle, heading who knew where, she preferred to think of it as still her choice for as long as she could. They were away from the dead and heading west, which is where she wanted to go. She told herself again that there was nothing to worry about. Her attempts at rationalizing her predicament were only moderately successful. As the minutes and the miles ticked away, she decided that formal introductions were in order. She figured that maybe if names were exchanged, it would be at least one step removed from a killer-victim scenario. My name is Beverly. This is my son, Tommy. We're going to Colorado. You know, because of the broadcasts, she said. Out of habit, she almost introduced her husband. The reality of his loss came rushing back to her, and she bit down hard. She fought back tears, not wanting to show a weakness that might give him indication that she was any kind of soft target. She stared at the back of Jacob's head and waited for some response. None was offered. She tried not to let the cold reception eat away at her doubt. The uncomfortable silence was broken by Tommy. You're a sheriff? My dad is a policeman. He had to fight some zombies so we could get away, but he's going to catch up to us when he's done. This time, Beverly could not hold back the tears. She turned away and stared out the window, not wanting Tommy or the stranger to see her vulnerability. Not any more successful at getting a response than his mother, Tommy gazed out the window. Silence again filled the vehicle. Beverly felt eyes upon her and saw the man cut his eyes to her and Tommy in the rearview mirror for several seconds before staring back down the road in front of him. It was dark by the time Jacob got to his next vantage point. He always got there well ahead of the horde, and this time was no different, even with the delays. The dark didn't matter. He had made the circuit following the horde long enough to know the lay of the land. He negotiated the uneven terrain, parking deep in the woods before getting out. The horde would not arrive at the vantage point until late the next morning, which gave him time to eat and grab some sleep. In the back seat, Beverly and Tommy watched him move around to the back of the jeep and open the tailgate. The rear interior light cast a yellow glow as he stuck his head in, unlocked a footlocker, and began to rummage around through his gear. He did not acknowledge them as he grabbed a can of stew, a single-burner propane stove, and a pot. She watched as he fired up the little stove, and a blue flame jumped to life. No sooner had he opened his can of stew than the flame died. Damn, he said, as he disconnected the small green propane tank. Stupid Miller, rookie move, he said as he searched in vain for another tank amongst his supplies. Giving up, he grabbed the can of stew and dumped it into the pot. He grabbed a spoon and sat down on the tailgate. With his back to them, he ate his stew cold. Hey, what about us? Did you rescue us back there just to starve us? Beverly said, fatigue and frustration getting the better of her fear of the unknown. The man gave no response. Beverly could feel her anger rising. She was about to blast this stranger, who seemed more captor than rescuer, with a verbal assault when she thought better of it.
Hearing him talk to himself, she tried a different tact. Sheriff, please help us, she said. At her words, he stopped chewing and turned his head slightly in their direction. Seeming to lose his appetite, he tossed the half-eaten can of stew to the ground and stood. He closed the footlocker and locked it. She was about to say something else when he turned and grabbed a pillow, then slammed the tailgate shut and closed the window. From the back seat, she watched him go around and climb into the front seat. Without ceremony, he tossed the pillow to the passenger side of the bench-style seat and lay down. Beverly let out an incredulous sigh. Clinging to her side, Tommy whimpered. I'm hungry. Beverly turned and held her son. I know, baby, she said. She looked to the back of the jeep, but there was nothing to be had. Climbing over the seat, she opened the tailgate and window. The rear interior light cast its glow and barely illuminated the ground around the vehicle. Scanning the ground, Beverly found the half-eaten can of stew. She considered grabbing her son and making a run for it. Thoughts of stumbling around in the pitch black of the forest and of what she might run into, alive or undead, sealed the deal for her. She climbed back into the jeep and pulled the tailgate and window closed. The dome light blinked out, a pale moon the only light. She plopped down in the seat next to Tommy and handed him the can of stew. Here, baby, I know it's nasty, but eat a little of this until we can get something better, okay? She said. Next to her in the dark, she could hear Tommy scoop out what was left of the cold stew with his fingers and begin to eat. You're a real trooper, Tommy. A good boy, she said, rubbing his back. Looking forward to the front seat, Beverly could again feel the anger rising in her. Asshole, she said. In the front seat, Jacob's eyes opened at the epithet. His brow furrowed in mild confusion. He knew the others were only a delusion. He knew that when they turned and pleaded with him, it was not really happening. But this was different. His delusion had never called him an asshole before. He pondered this as he drifted off to sleep. <laughs>